Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Making Sense of Islam podcast. A few housekeeping points before we begin. Every episode is accompanied by episode notes that highlight everything I've referenced. So people, verses, hadith, etc. They're all in the episode notes, which you can find at makingsenseofislam.com. Most of the episodes are short form, so the notes are few. But when you listen to longer form episodes, the notes are meant to be a resource and an aid. Number two, I would really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on whatever platform you use and leave a comment, hopefully positive. And number three, every Friday I send out a short email called Coexist Ruminations that shares what I'm working on and reading in my four focus areas. If you'd like to receive these, please sign up by going to makingsenseofislam.com forward slash Friday. That's it for now. Enjoy the show. If you have ever spent time studying any of the Islamic sciences, one of the patterns that becomes clear is the attention scholars in the past gave to documenting principles, axioms, rules, aphorisms, etc. In almost every discipline, you will find these cataloged, all with the aim of making the study of that particular discipline easy. So, rather than always having to start with a minutia and then making sense of it, students typically learn these principles, which provide important frameworks to make sense of it all. Now, while these principles are usually for students and experts of these fields, I believe that many Muslims seeking to make sense of Islam require their own set of first principles, through which they can approach Islam as a religion and discipline of study, and also draw conclusions that are both at one with the fundamentals of the faith, and also compatible with our current condition. In this series, and at this point I'm not exactly sure how long it's going to be, but I will say at least 10 episodes, I want to highlight some of these first principles that help us create a mental framework through which we can make sense of Islam today. Enjoy. I hope everyone's doing well. Thank you for tuning again for another episode. Today I want to speak about what an Islamic paradigm might look like. Now, the things that I'm going to say uh, in this episode are not necessarily new, the information that is, but what I think we're going to do in the next few minutes together is maybe talk a little bit about rewording, restructuring things that we've already known or we already believe in our religion. And I think I'll, you know, we'll make that clear as, as we go along. So again, this is not like a new subject, a new principle that, you know, what I'm going to say is not something that we've never heard of before. But I think it's important that we start thinking about these concepts in the format of a paradigm, which is a systematic way of thinking. Because that's really one of the major issues that prevents us from advancing and prevents us from making sense of the world around us and also then making sense of Islam as we apply it to the world around us, is we are coming up against other paradigms. And that's where a lot of the discomfort comes from. If you think of the world up until, I would say, the early part of the 19th century, uh, here I'm talking about the, the Muslim world, up until the early part of the 19th century, for hundreds you know, of years, uh, life was pretty much the same. The same type of things that the Sahaba used the same type of foods that the Sahaba used, the same types of transportations that the Sahaba used. Also, the Muslims living in the, up until the you know, very beginning of the 19th century, they used the same things. 
So there is this contiguous narrative or contiguous conversation or contiguous theme of life. So if you were a Muslim at that, you know, mid mid 1700s uh, till very early 1800s, let's say, and you read, you know, the books of Imam al-Ghazali or the books of Imam al-Razi or something like that, you read a story in the Hadith or you read something in the Seerah, you could relate to it a lot more directly than we can because modernity was yet to happen now of course there were some advancements i'm not saying it was you know zero change of course there was some change but it was change that was understandable and there and therefore didn't breach the contiguous nature of life after around 1830 however things start to change really really fast and what that does is it the technology advance communications transportation new uh, jobs even new skill sets foreign languages now start entering into Muslim governments, a lot of uh, Islamic laws uh, and legal systems are written in foreign languages, even though they are, you know, set out to be native laws, etc. So there is this huge shift, rapid shift that happens from about the middle of the 19th century onwards, and it continues to happen. And that's why I think this paradigm issue is something that's important. Now, I'm not going to do the topic complete justice now, we're only going to talk about the high level you know the highlights of it but this is so important to me that i'm actually putting together a course that i hope to teach in the washington dc area uh inshallah in the spring about this topic because i think it's so important that it deserves a little bit more time to digest how would we begin to understand what our paradigm is our thought paradigm so let us go all the way back it's abstract as far back as we can by asking what muslim theologians would call the three big questions. Where do we come from? What are we doing here? And where are we going? For a lot of people, those questions actually bring up a lot of anxiety. Those questions are very scary because it's very hard to answer those questions. It's very hard to conceive of, you know, do I have a purpose? Does my life have a purpose? And if somebody has very little faith or is doubting their faith, or has rejected faith altogether, those answers to those questions are going to be completely different than our answers to those questions. For us, hopefully, these are pretty simple questions. Where do we come from? We believe that we are created by God. Of course, cast in time and circumstance, but I mean, we're just talking very high level now. We would answer that question by saying we were created by God. Why are we here? The Quran posits three meta reasons why we were here and i think i've i and i I don't think i I did dedicate a a early podcast uh, episode to that which i will link up in the notes but just to review for those who haven't listened to that uh why we're here is to worship god ibadah uh to better ourselves tezkiah and to build this world in a way that is appropriate with our ethical systems, what we called al-imara. And those are all Qur'anic concepts. Those are the three main reasons why we are here. So everything we do in our life, both our quote-unquote religious life and our quote-unquote secular life, it's a manifestation, one of those three. And then where are we going? As we always say, as Muslims to God we belong, to Him we return. Now those questions, other than it's easy you know, to answer, and, and hopefully no one who shares our faith tradition listening to this is weirded out by those answers, because that in itself would be a problem. But if we understand that, then we can understand the beginnings of a sketch of what our paradigm is. So if we believe that we were created by God, we were placed on this earth, or we were placed in existence rather, within time and circumstance and all of that to do something, 
we also can understand that we are morally responsible. What we call in the Islamic sciences a taklif. We are morally responsible. We are free agents, of course, we have free will, and it is this free will that allows us to be morally responsible. Meaning, that if we do good in this world, we believe that we will be rewarded for that in the hereafter. But if we do bad, then unfortunately, we can be punished in the hereafter by that. That's what being morally responsible is. And because of that, I understand through my moral responsibility that there are things that I'm asked to do and there are things that I'm encouraged to do and there are things that I'm told not to do and the things that I'm told not to do are very few versus the vast array of things that I'm allowed to do, that I'm encouraged to do, that I'm told to do. And therefore, in my paradigm, in my way of thinking, my job is to understand those things, those nuances, those issues, make sense of them and abide to them. My job is not necessarily to make those rules, but my job is to understand and follow those rules. And that comes that stems from the fact that we have belief, that we believe in the divine. And that's a very important cornerstone of our paradigm. In a little bit, I'll start making maybe some comparisons to what we would call as quote-unquote the Western paradigm or the modern paradigm. And I'm not saying this to be disparaging. I myself, I live in, in both worlds at the same time. So... You know, I'm in, you know, as many of you are, and we are that, we have that weird circumstance. But it is important to understand that there is a difference. So, moral responsibility, a taklif, stems from that, the idea that there are do's and don'ts. And therefore, we try to understand those. In another paradigm that is material, that I would contend is the increasing paradigm of the quote-unquote the West or the modern world, the intellect is not just simply the way in the Islamic paradigm we would say our intellect, the job of our intellect is to understand the divine commandments and the sunnas of the world and the patterns of the world. Rather, the paradigm of modernity would have us draft those rulings or draft those concepts in and of themselves and then make sense of them. And that's a huge difference. Because we believe that there are certain things that just are. Uh, things that we find in nature, natural laws, things that we understand through reason. Uh, so okay, those things we can understand and we can develop, etc. But then there are other things that, uh, you know, they're just it is, it is the way it is. Uh, the fact that we worship God in a certain way, the fact that we uh, fast a certain way, the fact that we have rules of alms, rules of inheritance, etc. So I'm not so concerned with why. Sometimes I can understand the why behind that. Uh, I can say that the prayers are spread out throughout the day and uh, it helps me keep a reminder of God, etc. But then somebody can usually come back and say, well, if you follow the story of the Isra and the Maraj, the prayers were 50, not 5. So five is not enough. So, so there's no real rational, satisfactory answer to th matters of religion because religion is based on faith. And because I believe that I was created um, with these uh, in this pattern that we just mentioned a few minutes ago, then therefore I also believe that there are things that God has asked me to do and asked me to stay away from. So that's a big difference. Part of that belief system or par part of the Islamic paradigm stemming also from this concept of, or from answering these three big questions, is that God created us to be a unique creation in the universe. 
because we have this moral responsibility and we have this tremendous faculty, our intellect, our reason, and our emotional states to be able to understand, interpret, inculcate, take in this message, these divine commandments, and carry out this divine plan or carry out these divine injunctions. So the Islamic paradigm sees the human being is very unique. And stemming from that, the universe was created for us. Not the universe was created for us to exploit. That's not what that means. But the universe was created for us to help us facilitate, to facilitate our carrying out these divine commands. So therefore, we always try to find how we can naturally follow these commands. How do we naturally worship? How do we naturally improve ourselves? How do we naturally build society? So that's part of the paradigm. It stems from the fact that the world is happening for us, not against us. And, and with that comes tremendous responsibility. Again, this is not a justification for exploitation, but rather this is an explanation of how we are to interact with the world around us. However, in other paradigms, the world was created and we are created on top of that structure. So we are, therefore will exploit it. We therefore have the right to use it uh, to, to the point in which we might even exhaust some of those resources. Again, so you see that there's a difference in this paradigm. The Muslim paradigm, which would inform Muslim ethics, uh, Islamic law, Islamic theology, all, you know, all of the other things that would come from that paradigm, would be it would inform, for example, how we treat the environment. What do we do with uh, climate uh, change? How do we deal with extinction? How do we deal with natural disaster? Uh, and therefore, that the, the type of laws, legislation, concept papers, perspectives that come based on that paradigm towards those issues would be very, very different than what we are seeing now uh, some even argue that we are past the point of even repairing some of the damage that we have unfortunately caused to, to our environment. Part of this paradigm, or part of the paradigm of the West or the modern world, as it marches away from faith, and of course the Islamic paradigm is something that is fundamentally based on faith, is that in the Western paradigm or the modern paradigm, the, mo the contemporary modern world, it is increasingly about the material and the observable only. Whereas, as I said a minute ago, our paradigm respects the observable, of course. I mean, no one is going to deny uh, observable phenomena or rational phenomena. But we add to that, there's also divinely revealed phenomena, what we call wahi, revelation. That also informs our database of information. So actually, the Islamic paradigm is based on a wider array of information than a paradigm that is solely based on the tangible, the physical, the material. What's a, a, a nice manifestation of this that you can understand is modern medicine. Whereas when, you, when you're hurting, you have a problem and you go to the doctor, uh, the doctor, the physician is only going to, most, most physicians will only look at that specific problem that you're complaining from and give you something for that specific problem. Whereas what we would desc describe as natural medicine, now it's increasingly called alternative medicine, and I, I don't think that these terms necessarily are appropriate, but I think I use them so we understand what we're talking about. Homeopathy is a very good example. 
when you go to a practitioner of these, they don't ask you about the specific thing that you're complaining about because they see the thing that you're complaining about as linked to other issues. Linked to your emotional state, linked to your belief, linked to your experiences, linked to your relationships, etc. So it is not limiting itself to the physical and the tangible. But it is understanding that this is only one manifestation of a greater problem. And therefore they want to treat the underlying issue. If that is correct, then all of the other symptoms will subside. Which is a, so that approach, that, that, that approach of medicine is based on a paradigm that understands that it's not just what's physical, what's material, and what's tangible. And you know, many times, I, I mean, I've experienced this where I would go to a doctor when I was younger and I have a problem, and we would try to solve that problem, but I'm not like happy when that problem is solved. I mean, my, my problems didn't go away. And you start to realize that's just, that was like a, you know, a, a nuisance, but, but the real problem is still there. And when I started uh, seeing a homeopath, when I was living in, in Cairo, uh, we had a homeopath who I still see till this day. Uh, she's a wonderful homeopath. I, I leave the session uh, with her feeling better before I've even taken my, my remedy. And if the remedy is right, and she was able to find, you know, I was able to convey to her where I am effectively, and she's able to match my, my remedy to that state, it really is transformative. I mean, really, it's like almost like magical. And it's a very simple, natural way. There's no, you know, hospital bill, and there's no health insurance, and, you know, all of this nonsense that we live in the United States, at least, we, we have to deal with. It's very straightforward and simple. But it's in very important for us to understand that that comes from a paradigm. Now, homeopathy, as the example I'm, I'm using, I'm not going to say that this is stemming from the Islamic paradigm, but it comes from a paradigm that would be compatible with the Islamic paradigm on the subject, on the subject of that we are more than just body. We are more than just material. Of course, because as Muslims, we believe we are body, soul, and self. The jasad, the body, the soul, the ruh, and the, the self, the nafs, which I've spoken about in the episodes dealing with uh, Sufism, tasawwuf. So that's why I think it's important that we articulate our paradigm to ourselves so we can understand what's compatible, what's not compatible. We can understand where there are issues. And the reason this is so critical, as I said in the very beginning, is that the change that we as a global community are undergoing uh, the, the march of modernity has affected every aspect of our lives. It's affected the way we sleep. It's affected how we eat, when we eat. It's even affected how we dress. It's affected how we think. It's affected how we speak. It's affected how we're governed. It's affected in kind of the tasks we have. It's affected the nature of money. It's affected the nature of education. And it has also impacted our application of our faith, of our religion. The whole podcast is called Making Sense of Islam because that's really our task is at every moment, given our modern contemporary predicament, we need to make sense of our, what we would call Quran and Sunnah, dealing with these issues now. And that might change because the reality of our life changes day to day now. So that's tremendously important. So why are there tensions or why do some people um, think that Islam is quote-unquote old or Islam is quote-unquote outdated? Or That comes from the experience that our paradigm is not 100% compatible with the Western paradigm or the paradigm of modernity or European paradigm or post-enlightenment, post-modernism paradigm. It's just different. 
and, and it will always be different because our uh, the way we answer these big questions, our commitment to faith, and therefore we believe in the seen and the unseen. We believe in what is in front of us and what is also told to us through revelation. We believe that's what makes the, an Islamic you know paradigm of faith in the first place. Any faith, for that matter, it's going to be fundamentally different. But it's different, I think, in a positive way because our paradigm is actually much more broad because we are not limited to what is physical, rational, material. That we understand there is more more to that. And if you understand that, I think that you, in a funny way, I mean, you can take away from what I'm saying a negative theme, but I actually don't think this is negative. I think it's just a reality. Because our paradigm as people of faith is broader, I think that we are more comfortable because we understand that when somebody tells us something that's based on a paradigm that's limiting, we understand that there is truth in that. But we also know that there's more to that story. Uh, I remember when we were studying ethics, uh, tasawwuf and things like that, um, our teachers would always comment about how, look, a lot of what Freud said is correct. But Freud is really just talking about the lower level of the self. But what he doesn't realize is that there are other levels of the self. So he, he just did a good job of describing that, that the lower self can be messed up in that way. I mean, I mean these are you know, broad statements. They're not meant to be all like encompassing uh, academic critiques of Freud. I mean, this just is just like a simple example. Uh, because you know, a lot of what Freud said has been debunked and things like that. But then that means that we can accept what the, what the what the sheikh was saying is that you we can accept that we understand that it has a place in our paradigm but that's just not the whole story it's like 10% of the whole story we're going to look at the other stuff as well and we have our own system of improvement based on invocation dhikr based on contemplation fiqh you know based on the teachings of the tasawwuf based on the uh, chain of transmission of the of the the, uh, the our spiritual lineage you know going back to the prophet peace be upon him etc so we have a whole we have a whole package to offer and we use a lot of that uh, information, writing, literature that comes from outside our paradigm to help us un- make more sense of our own paradigm. So I'm not saying that this is a negative clashing thing. This is not like a clash of civilizations argument by any means. But I want us to understand that our paradigm is different because I think we need to have confidence in it again. If you have confidence in this paradigm, if you're a person, of, if you don't have any faith, then that's a different Topic. I'm talking about someone who you know might be struggling with their faith, or you know wants to be committed practicing Muslim, but you know there are some things that I just don't get. I don't understand. And why is it like this? Why is it like that? I think it's important to have confidence. It's very important to feel comfortable in your own skin. Yes, I'm a person of faith. Uh, that does not mean I am not a person of reason. It means I'm a person of reason and faith. And for us, the two don't contradict. We have no point in the in our primary text, the Qur'an or the Sunnah or any of our literature, in which there's a conflict between what we observe and what we believe, uh, what we are informed through sources of revelation and what we are informed through our you know scientific approach to understand the universe around us. So anyway, I, I feel maybe this is a little bit all over the place. I don't want to keep going because I think that I might May, might undo what I was trying to do in the first place. I'm going to leave it at that. Um, it is a principle, uh, I would say, which is why I included it in the Islamic first principles, is that we need to understand that there is something called the Islamic paradigm and there are s- certain flash concepts that f- inform that paradigm. Um, 
that being said, I think there's a lot more to discuss, which is why I want to try to create this into some sort of course um, that would take a couple of months to teach, because I think there are issues like with language, um, gender, equality, uh, sacred, profane. These things, I think, need to be hashed out to make more sense of what the quote-unquote Islamic paradigm is versus what it's not. And as I get that going... Um, I am intending to have a separate section on the website for uh, other other form of audio, longer form audio that's not the podcast, which are more more like classes, you know, class one, class two, class three of, of one topic. Uh, when I get that going, I'll definitely announce it, and that will be obviously accessible to everyone. Uh, so, but having said that, I'll leave the discussion of the paradigm there, uh, and I will talk to you all soon. Take care.